So this is week three, right? We're doing big things in small packages. And the first week, we, uh, I don't want to jump right into it. Okay? I don't want to give you much introduction. I just want to make sure if you're here for the first time that you're not lost. So the first week, we, we talked about ending big, which is kind of a weird way to start a series. When you start with ending, it seems kind of weird. But here's the point. The kingdom of Jesus is huge, right? And at the end, we read in Revelation, it's going to be phenomenally big. So we win, and, and so when, when, we, when we know that we win, that should kind of set the stage for what we can do on a day-to-day basis, right? If we know that we win, then we can dream big, can't we? Which is what Phil talked about last week. Um, I think we've asked you this a couple of times. If you knew that you would not fail, what would you do? I would become a country singer. <laughs> if I knew I couldn't fail... Not really because I like country, but because apparently you can be a country singer and it's not really country. And you make a lot of money because people that are really into country are too drunk to know it's not country. So they just buy your CD, right? I'm kidding. They're not really. Oh, do you like, you like country? I can tell. Are you saying I'm drunk? Maybe. Let's just keep going. So if we know that we can't fail, then we're able to dream big, right? And we're encouraging you to think about big as believing in God. So we're dream, we dream believing in God. I love that last week, apparently while I was down getting food tossed at me by kids, Phil was teaching you about Joseph. He mentioned Joseph. Do you remember the beginning of that story? Joseph had a dream, right? And his dream was kind of like this. Hey, family, gather around. I had a dream. Let me tell you about it. You're going to bow and worship me. That was pretty much what he said. Not surprisingly, his family didn't like the dream, and so they tried to kill him. If you and I had been in the family, we would have tried to kill him too. And so the point here is, he starts dreaming big. It's good to have big dreams, but he wasn't dreaming believing in God. He was dreaming believing in himself. And so God used a lot of circumstances, like prison, a crazy woman who accused him of rape, and just, you know, stuff that doesn't happen to any of us, right, to get him to a place where when his family finally did bow down, He wasn't like, that's right, because I'm bad. He was like, wait, God has put me in a position where my dream has come true so that I can help you. Make sense? So we dream big, but we dream believing in God. And this morning, i got to be honest, I've been more excited about this day than any other day. Because today we're going to talk about giving big. We're going to talk about being generous. Because if we know that God has our back, if we know that we cannot fail, if we know that we can dream as big as we want and God's going to take care of that, then we're free to kind of do this with the things in our lives. I don't have to hold on to my cars because I might need them because I'm free. God's got that. I can just kind of do this. So before we even start digging into um, what we're talking about this morning, I just got a quick video. You've probably already seen this video because when I checked it this morning, 26 million people have, but... I want to show it to you anyway, so we'll watch it, and then I'll come back. Okay, right away, everybody's thinking, how can I fly WestJet, right? Hmm. This morning, I want to teach us what generosity is about. We'll come back to that video in a little bit. Um, Let's just jump right into it. Let's talk about what generosity is not. Let's get this one right out of the way. First one, first blank on your sheet. Generosity is never about amounts. Generosity and giving has absolutely zero to do with how much we give. We're going to let Jesus handle this one. Um, in Mark chapter 14, 
is one passage that we're going to look at. There's only two times in Scripture that I can find that Jesus actually said, said something publicly about what somebody else had given. So he's, Mark chapter 14, he's sitting at this guy's house. His name is Simon. And um, you ever had awkward moments? Things happen. You're not quite sure what to do with them. Uh, Jesus has an awkward moment in Mark chapter 14, starting in verse 1. Here's what it says. Now the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread were only two days away, and the chief priests and the teachers of the law were looking for some sly way to arrest Jesus and kill him. But not during the feast, they said, or the people may riot. Verse 3, while he was in Bethany, reclining at the table in the home of a man known as Simon the leper, which is awkward enough because he's at a leper's house, a woman came with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume made of pure nard. She broke the jar and poured the perfume on his head. And some of those present were saying indignantly to one another, why this waste of perfume? It could have been sold for more than a year's wages and the money given to the poor. And they rebuked her harshly. Before we even keep going, let's just wrap our brain around what is what? How much is perfume worth when you can sell it for more than a year's wages? So let's just use average numbers, okay? In America, the average wage is forty-five thousand dollars a year. Now I'm not saying that's what you make or that's what I make or that's what your neighbor makes, but I'm just saying when you go to the website that that nationally that figures all that out they will say the average national wage is forty five thousand dollars so this is worth more than a year's wage we don't know how much more but let's just use forty five thousand is that cool with you so jesus is hanging out at a leper's house a woman walks in which is weird anyway probably and she has this like jar i don't know exactly what an alabaster jar is apparently it's easy to break on somebody's head and so she walks in and she just like starts pouring this stuff all over Jesus. I've told some of you, I worked at a church one time where I literally watched the pastor at the altar during the service praying. And a man came up behind him and like usually like real churches have anointing oil bar bottles. And so they like picked one of them up. It's about that big. And they just like all over his head, like suit, tie, the whole deal. They just like dumped it on his head. And something like that is what happened. The only difference is that oil was worth, I don't know, 20 bucks. But what got poured on Jesus, the, it says everybody starts murmuring. If you read it in, other, in another gospel, you'll find it's the disciples that start murmuring. What? Is she crazy? That could, that's, that could have been sold for over a year's wages. $45,000 worth of perfume gone. And while everybody's fussing about it, freaking out, Jesus says this in verse 9. I tell you the truth. And when Jesus says, I tell you the truth, the translation is, shut up, because I'm talking. I tell you the truth. Wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. So apparently, if you give a lot of money, it gets you on Jesus' A-list. And people were there. You know this word spread, right? I mean, what would happen in Stanley County? Somebody breaks $45,000 worth of perfume and just tosses it on somebody. You think that word's getting around? Yeah. You think people are showing up at your house? Hey, I heard you got some perfume. Let me borrow it. What they mean is let me sell it, right? Word's getting around. And so you know word spread here. I want you to get this right away, okay? Right up front, generosity is never about the amount. 
Because as soon as I, I mean, we've been for like three weeks putting stuff out on Facebook. This is the big give and come today, ready to give some money and bless some people. And right away we start thinking money. Oh, it's a big gift. They're going to reach in my wallet while I'm not looking. None of you closed your eyes during worship this morning because you're just like making sure you feel your wallet right, making sure nobody's coming behind you. We get so paranoid about the amount. I want to set you at ease right away. It's never about the amount. But because humans are humans, they're sitting there. They see a woman give $45,000 offering. They see how Jesus responds like, dude, I'm telling you, anywhere the gospel is preached, that woman's going to be talked about. And so what do people naturally start to think? Well, I'd like for people to talk about me forever too. So I think I need to go get a really big gift. So for, I don't know how many people are trying to figure out how to get on Jesus' good side, give good gifts, but then just a few weeks later, it's recorded in Luke chapter 21, Jesus says something else about another offering, just to make sure that people don't freak out and start thinking it's all about the amount. Luke chapter 21, verses 1 through 4, Jesus says, as he looked up, Jesus saw the rich putting their gifts into the temple treasury. Now let's just stop there for a second, Okay. That alone should probably change how we give. Like here at the gathering, we don't pass an offering plate. We have offering plates that are metal boxes stuck up on the wall. So how would your giving change if Jesus was standing right next to that box every Sunday? We'd have to have two Jesuses. But anyway, you get what I'm saying, right? How would your giving change if you were walking up and you were getting out the dollar bill and you looked up and like, not me, not, a, not an elder, just Jesus? Because that's what's happening here. He's watching people give. I mean, that, I'm just being honest. That changes what I want to do. Now I find myself like the person trying to, th- how can I give more so Jesus will like me? And it's easy to fall into that trap, isn't it? Because there's plenty of preachers and plenty of churches that will tell you, yeah, you need to give more. So I can get paid, right? Because y'all are pretty sure I just take the money every week and just go have a party. Which I don't. We start thinking that way. We hear people encouraging us, man, give more, give more, give more. But here's Jesus watching people give. He watches all the rich people put their gifts in. And then he also saw a poor widow, verse 2, put in two very small copper coins. Literally less than a penny. I tell you the truth, again, Jesus says, shut up, listen, I tell you the truth, this poor widow has put in more than all the others. All these people gave their gifts out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in all that she had to live on. There's two offerings, two commentaries by Jesus, two very different amounts. Do you get that? Jesus, just, he's just setting us at ease, right? One of these offerings would have taken people like a whole day to count. One of them, it was like, Two pennies. Not long at all. Two very different amounts, both very generous. So let's just lay that one just to rest right up front. Generosity is never about the amount. It's also never about ability. Let me explain what I mean by that. I think so many times we wait to be generous, right? We wait to be generous until we think we can be generous. You ever said this? Well, if I could, I would. And we say that all the time, right? If I could give it, I would give it. But the only reason we say that is because we're still hung up on the amount. What we really mean to say is, I can't give what I consider to be generous, and so I'll just wait until I have it, and then I'll give it. Listen, it's never about ability. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, 
um, Paul got really creative and decided to shoot down this whole thing with one verse. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, Paul's writing to the, um, to the church in Corinth, and he's talking about the Macedonian believers and how good they are at giving. I'd like to be known for that, wouldn't you? When people hear your name, Paul Jenkins, people just go, that, that, that dude's good at giving. He's generous. I'd like for people to think of me that way. If we're honest, if we're thinking about what we want the pastor to say at our funeral, that's something we'd like him to say, isn't it? Man, he, she was generous. Y'all aren't sure? Are you wrestling with that? Are you thinking, I'd rather him get up and say, she was a jerk? No, we want people to say we're generous. Man, he would give you the shirt off his back. That's the stuff we want people to say about us. And so in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, Paul's talking about the Macedonian churches. And he's holding them up as an example of people who are generous, okay? And here's what he says. We're talking about generosity is never about ability. Don't wait until you have it to give it. And here's what he says. Verse 2, out of their most severe trial, out of their most severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. Now, we're not going to go this direction in the sermon, but let me just say this. That's really bad math. That's really bad math. Because what Paul just said was overflowing joy plus extreme poverty equals rich generosity. And how we would sum that is overflowing joy plus everything I could ever possibly want because that's why I have joy equals I'll give you what I want. That's the American math. But this is bad math. Do you see that? And so verse 3, he takes one verse and he just nails that it's never about ability. And he says this, For I testify that they gave as much as they were able. All the preachers, all the people in your life, when you're up late at night and you turn on the TV and you're watching that TV evangelist and he's like, if you really love Jesus, you'll send a check for $1,000 and God will bless you. I was in a hotel when I was on the road speaking and I saw a preacher and he said that and I, I just wanted to punch him. I wanted to get in the TV and just somehow like punch him because I knew somewhere there was an old lady who had no money and she's going to whip out a checkbook and she's going to write a check for $1,000. And maybe God would bless her because she's faithful. Who knows? Because she's obedient. But for him to say, if you want God to bless you, give $1,000. I want to punch him. And here's Paul who wrote most of the New Testament under the authority of God, saying this, look, I'm holding up the Macedonian church as an example, and here's what they're an example of. They gave as they were able. And so we all go, yay! I never have to give more than is comfortable. I mean, is that what you're thinking? Y'all aren't even thinking. I can tell you're so quiet today. You're just like, you're freaking out because you're pretty sure still, you're like sitting there holding your wallet. You know I'm going to reach in there, right? I'm not going to reach in your wallet. We just got to talk about what generosity is from a biblical standpoint. So I can show you why that video we just watched that moved us all is wrong. We're celebrating that they gave as they were able because that means that we don't have to give the 20 when we would rather give the 1. But then Paul continues in the exact same verse. He said they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. Both. We give what we can, 
And sometimes, because God moves on our heart, we even give what we probably can't. And is it because a really good preacher told you to? No, because how does Paul close out that verse? Entirely on their own. I don't get to tell you to give. God gets to move on your heart. Generosity is never about the amount. You're not more generous because you gave a bigger check than somebody who gave a smaller one. And it's never about ability. They gave as they were able. They gave more than they were able. The reality is, and we're going to hate this, but most of us have the ability to be generous. Remember that $45,000 a year we mentioned earlier? If you make $45,000 a year, you are in the top 1.5% of the richest people on the planet. And guess what nobody just did? Yay! Because we don't feel rich. We don't feel like we have the ability. But according to that, we do have the ability. For now, let's just admit one thing. And then we'll talk about why we don't feel rich, even though we're in the top 1.5%. The ability to give isn't what generosity is about. So when I told you the stat about 45 grand, none of you got excited, even though that means you're richer than 98.5% of the world. Because we all know that we have bills and we don't feel rich. It doesn't feel like it goes far enough. Man, I'm telling you, I can understand that. Family of five, we sit on the table lots of times and we're just like, we drive two old cars we pay for a house. Where is the money? It just doesn't, this is America, right? It costs money to live, right? So we throw a stat out like that, and we're all like, I think I should be happier than I feel right now. But we don't feel rich, even if statistically we are. And so here's what we do. Number three. I'm going to talk you through it, and I'll tell you what the word is to fill in. But you'll probably guess it as we go along. We leave generosity to the truly rich people. That's what we do. We do it in America. Hey, there's like billionaires, and they're going to they're gonna bail us out. They're going to give the money. They're going to make sure that um, St. Jude's Hospital still runs because I see them. Like Robin Williams is always on there, and I know he's got a lot of money. So if I don't give, he's going to write the check. It's all going to be good. We make sure that the really, really rich people take care of it. The problem with that is this, that statistically the richer we are, the less we give. And here's the example that I want to walk you through. We watched the video about WestJet. I love that video. I love how it, how it looks so generous and how they're fantastic at what they're doing. But here's the truth behind that video. In 2012, WestJet had sales of $3.5 billion. They profited. They netted $243 million. Now, I get it. 243 million out of 300, 3.5 billion. That's not a lot of profit. There's a lot going away. But they netted 243 million dollars. I tried to find out online how much that video cost them. Not just to make the video, but like all the gifts they bought. And nobody's going to give a figure. But here's what one of their spokespersons says. He says, you know, usually to do something like that, you're talking about like high six figures, mid six figures. He said, but this was just a fraction of that. So I just picked 100,000 dollars. Might have been a little bit more, might have been less, probably wasn't less, but let's just say $100,000. If it cost them $100,000 to make a video of them giving gifts away and actually buy the gifts and give them away, that costs them less than half of a half of a percent of the $243 million that they made. 
And yet 26 million people are watching that video going, dang, that's so generous. That's awesome. Oprah Winfrey, you ever heard of her? If you recognize the, the title, The Big Give, it's because she, she did a reality show called The Big Give, which failed miserably. Oh, well. But she's been giving things away. She's known for giving things away to audiences, right? Like, you, like if this was, and right now you're thinking, maybe that's what The Big Give is, right? We're here in church this morning, and Pastor Paul's got the microphone. He looks a little darker. Maybe he is going to be like Oprah today, and he's just going to say, surprise! You got a car! It's not going to happen, but you can dream, right? Dream big, people. Dream big. But she's, so, she's become known for that. Very generous. Very generous. As a matter of fact, in, in the year 2009, she gave $40 million to charity. That was first. Number one, in giving. Number two, gave $4.5 million. First place, $40 million. Second place, that's a, that's, she won by a landslide. In 2009, she gives $40 million to various charities. And listen, here's the thing. Her annual income is $300 million. I want to be like Oprah, right? I mean, she's brilliant. She's brilliant. She, she makes $300 million a year. So even at $40 million a year, if you can do the math, she gave 13% of her income to charity that year. And now we're back to, like, if Jesus was watching what we put in, if Jesus stood up on the stage and said, well, I've been checking the records, you know, forget the naughty and nice list, right? I've been checking the records, and I see that mm, Paul and Wendy gave, fill in a percent. I'm not sure we want to go there. Do you want to go there? I'd like to live so that we could go there. But 13%, she's beaten a lot of people in church. She's beaten, a, she's beaten the vice president. She's beaten a lot of people that have a lot of money to give. But here's the thing. 13% of $300 million is fantastic. But I found out what she's worth. She's worth $2.9 billion. So that $40 million is like just a little bit over 1.5% of her net worth. And suddenly it's like, that's really cool, but now it's not quite as big. And then I thought, well, that's big, but what's bigger? Michael Bloomberg, he's the mayor of New York City. In the year 2011, he was the fifth most generous person in America. He gave away in that year, he gave away Oprah's salary. He gave away $311 million. Now, I know we're going to break all this down because I'm throwing you a lot, a lot of numbers at you, and you're just like, you lost me at the two pennies that the woman gave, right? He gave away $311 million. That's just staggering to me. And here's the deal. That's only 1.5% of his $19.5 billion net worth. Am I saying that all these people are bad? No. I am saying unequivocally, if I ever fly in Canada, I'm going on WestJet around Christmas. Hopefully there's a blue Santa. They're not bad people. Oprah's not a bad person. Michael Bloomberg's not a bad person. Am I saying that this is not generous? No, this is very generous. But generosity is never about affluence. You thought I was going to say Aflac. It's never about affluence. Because here's the thing. They did something good, but what they did can't give God glory. And here's why. Because people expect rich people to be generous 
Because rich people have the means to be generous. Let me, I'm going to say this sentence a couple times. I posted this on Facebook this week just to kind of warm you up for it. The world gives from excess periodically. Followers of Jesus should give excessively, period. Let me say it one more time. The world gives from their excess periodically. Followers of Jesus should give excessively, period. While God gets glory from big things that come from small packages, what WestJet, Oprah, and Bloomberg all did, listen to this, were really just small things that appear to be big things that came from big packages. I, I mentioned this a while, maybe a couple years ago. I was watching Fox News one day, and there was some story about... Um, some girl who was selling Girl Scout cookies and somebody stole her Girl Scout cookies and the money and she lost like, I don't know, $185. And their next guest was Donald Trump. And so they, they run this show, this, this little story about the girl losing her money and $185. And when they cut to Donald Trump, he just kind of grinned and said, you know what, guys, I'm going to cover that. And I'm at home going, well, duh, of course you would cover that. And that's like, what, coffee change to you? But the people on Fox News, because they're all trying to get up in his butt, were like, that's amazing. Oh, thank you. That's so generous of you. I was like, generous? He loses that. I mean, that's not generous. That's, that's a very small thing that appears to be a big thing that comes from a big package. What gives God glory is when things that are big come from what is really small. When, when the widow does not have a lot, but she gives it anyway. It's a small thing that becomes a big thing. Do you see what I'm saying? It's never, ever about affluence. So we can stop waiting to win the lottery to start being generous, right? All right, here's number four. We talked about all the things that it's not about. It's not about amounts. It's not about ability. It's not about affluence. So what is generosity about? Generosity is always about attitude. It isn't an act as much as it's a quality. We don't want to act generous. We want to be generous. Um, you don't have a lot of room on your sheet to write these down, but I want you to write down two statements. These are two statements that I believe when they are true of our lives, they allow us to live more generously. Here's the first one. I have enough. So we're talking about the attitude of generosity. We don't want to act generous. And, as, and if we're honest, if we went around the room right now, most of us would probably say, I I don't even feel like acting generous. I don't have anything to give. But that's because we're still thinking of generosity as something that you do, not something that you are. The right attitude starts with the question, I, the, the statement, I have enough. Until we see that we have enough, guess what we're always going to want? More. That's the result of fear. There's the fear of the unknown, the fear of the future, fear of losing what we have. Um, I love this. If I asked you right now, if all of you got out a sheet of paper and I said, just write down how much money you need to guarantee you and your family against any future possible unforeseen circumstance, car wreck, long-term disability, just write down a figure. Just write that number down. I already know what every one of you would write down. Just more than what I have now. We all just want more, Right? Just a little, there's never enough. We just want a little bit more to guarantee us. But that's just motivated by fear. 
That's motivated by, I don't have enough. I don't know if I can ever have enough. Who knows what might happen? And so you can never have a generous heart if you don't know that you have enough. The statement is huge. I have enough. Proverbs chapter 30. Verses 8 and 9. And these are two great verses. You want to have a verse to read with your family and pray over and ask God to burn in your heart? These are two good ones. Proverbs chapter 30, verses 8 and 9. I don't know why it is that every verse I want to read to you is on the stickiest page in the Bible. What's up with that? Here we go. Keep falsehood and lies far from me. Give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. Otherwise, I may have too much and disown you and say, who is the Lord? Or I may become poor and steal and so dishonor the name of my God. There is a lot of power in being able to say, I have enough. I'm trying to think of a way I could help you visualize that. The only example I can come up with is if you came to my house on a night that we were having steak, which doesn't happen often, but, you know, every now and then we'll grill some steaks up and we'll throw them on the table. If you came to my house on the night that we were having steak and Parker and Will and Sydney were sitting around the table and you said to them, hey, can I have your steak? They're going to say, they're going to say no. I'm sorry. <laughs> some of you were like, well, they're preacher's kids, so they're going to be like, Jesus would want you to have it. Uh, wrong. They're preacher's kids that are hungry and love steak, so they're stabbing you with a fork if you try to take it. They would say no, but on rare occasions, guess what I've seen them do? I've seen them look at really, 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 really good food that I know that they love, and they have said, you can have it. But guess when that takes place? When they're full. When the thought of eating that makes them want to puke. Now, I'm not, the analogy will break down if you go too far, but here's the point I'm trying to make, okay? There's something powerful about being able to push away from a table and say, I have enough. I don't need that. I, I kind of still want it because I know what it tastes like, but I don't need it. And you need it more than I do. And I have enough. Without trying to make us feel totally guilty for being Americans, what would happen if all the people in America that are in the 1.5% of top earners in the world suddenly pushed away from the table and said, I have enough enough we'd feed the world but the truth of the matter is we don't feel like we have enough because we don't know about the unknowns so here's the second statement if you can say yes to this if this is a true statement about your life these two statements together will allow us to live and give and be generous not just act generous the second statement is, I, not just I have enough, I have a father. And here's why that statement is so important for the believer. We don't just have any father. This is not like, Luke, I am your father, right? We, we have a God. Listen to what the Bible says. Statements that are true about our God. We'll put them up on the screen for you. Philippians 4.19. It says that I know that my God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. How many needs is he going to meet? All your needs. Now, before we even go to the next one, see, some of you didn't say all because you're like, 
I don't know if that verse is true because I got bills on my home, at home on my table and I don't have the money in the account to pay for it. But, and, and this is hard to hear, hard to say. You've got to flesh this out. But here's the truth. Our circumstance never changes whether that's true. So when the Bible says that my God will supply all your needs, this is what allows us to push back from the table and say, I have enough. Now, it's possible that you're in a position where you can't push back from the table and say, I have enough, because you don't have enough. Like, if you've cut cable, and you've, like, sold your car, and you're, like, driving a moped, and you've done everything you can think of, you're not just taking your food, but you're even recycling the bread. You're just opening up your sandwich and licking the peanut butter off, and you're using the bread the next day. If you have done everything you can think of to make sure that you have enough and you can pay your bills and you're still at the end of the month going, I'm 500 short, you are not in a position to push back from the table and say, I have enough. Do you understand? Because if you don't understand that, you're going to walk away from here feeling so guilty. Because you literally are not in a position to do that. But what I'm saying to you is that does not change that. Because even if you've done all you can and you're 500 short, my God will still supply all your needs. Which all that says to me is somehow, some way, 500 bucks are showing up. Because my God will supply all your needs. Matthew chapter 6. Sorry, it's a great testimony I want to tell you, but I don't want it. it's not my testimony to tell. Matthew chapter 6. This is a lot to, to read, but let's just go for it. It's from the greatest sermon ever, ever preached. The Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 6, verses, starting in verse 25. We'll just read to the end of the, of the chapter. Jesus is talking, and here's what he says. Therefore, I tell you, again, he says, shut up, listen. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Now, just look. Can we just be honest? That one sentence basically screams to us, stop. You can't go any further, because I, I, he just nailed us, right? I mean, how many of you worry about your life? Am I the only one? I thought we were an honest church. <laughs> um, I know that some of you worry about your body because you're women. I mean, guys don't worry about their bodies. They're just like, I'm fat and I know it. I'm fat, I got a job, I drive a car, and I got the chick. What? So we could stop right there. What you will wear, listen. I don't want to let the secret out too much, but every, every teenage boy right there. You think it's the girls? Mm, no, it's the boys. Does this look okay? Will the girls think I'm hot? That doesn't happen in our house. I'm just throwing that out, you know, just throwing it out there. It would be awesome if you went up to Parking Wheel today after church and said, you look marvelous, fantastic. What you're wearing really brings out the color of your eyes. Let's keep going. Is not life more important than food and the body more important than clothes? Yes. But please wear clothes. Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns. And yet your heavenly Father, I have enough, I have a Father, your heavenly Father feeds them. 
Are you not much more valuable than they? Okay, I'm going to ask that again, and I should hear more than one person say yes. Are you not much more valuable than birds? Yes. So who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the lilies of the field grow? They don't labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which we cut every summer, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? So don't worry saying what will we eat or what will we drink, where will we go after church today, what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things. Listen, Jesus is a great master at saying really hard things and people going, thank you. But he just looked at a bunch of people that are trying to follow Jesus and he said, you're acting like the pagans. The pagans are at home making sure that they don't miss the next episode of what not to wear. So they don't look like idiots when they go to Walmart. As if it's possible to not look like an idiot when you go to Walmart. He says, that's not the way it's supposed to be with you. The reason that the pagans worry about that stuff is because they can't say, I have enough. And they cannot say, I have a father. But you can. The pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own, and everybody said amen to that. One last passage of scripture about what our father does Matthew chapter 7 this is perfect for Christmas Matthew chapter 7 verses 9 through 12 which of you Jesus said if he if his son asked for bread will give him a stone or if he asked for a fish will give him a snake I can just picture Christmas morning in this place can't you I know that's going to be a fish. It's going to be fantastic. And your kid opens up and he gave him a snake. Who does that, right? And God's saying, look, if your son asks for these things, will you not give them? And he says this in verse 11. If you then, though you are evil, a lot of wives are like, I told you. I told you you were evil. Jesus said it. If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father... In heaven, give good gifts to those who ask him. Okay. When we can say, I have enough, and I have a father, it allows us to understand this about God. Philippians 4.18, you don't have to turn or just jot it down. Paul, as a missionary, is writing to his support church. Usually, the, usually um, missionaries write to the support church and ask for more support. And Paul writes to his support church and says, listen, I'm good. I'm good. You read it yourself. I'm just paraphrasing. Philippians 14. He says this, I have more than enough. I have an ample supply. And I've got so much more than I need right now that let me just encourage you with what I'm going to write right now in this letter that you're going to read. But someday later, people can make millions of dollars because they're going to put on plaques and T-shirts and bumper stickers. They're going to put all over the house. And so he wrote Philippians 4.19. My God will supply all your needs. We read it. According to his riches and glory. 
that promise that we stake every time we get to the end of the month that we still have bills to pay, and we pull that verse out and start quoting it and screaming it and crying it, a missionary wrote that. To the church that had enough already. And he said, my God, he's not just a father who gives me what I need. He gives me more than I need. Everybody say more. That's a good word. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 7, we just read it. If your son asks for this, how much more will your heavenly father give you good gifts? And why does he do it? Verse 12, Matthew 7, 12. So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. I have enough. I have a father who is going to meet my needs. And because those are true in my life, I am now in a position to live generously. That's the attitude that fuels a generous person. Here's today's big idea at the top of your sheet. Just write this in. I had to explain all that so I could make this make sense. Here's the big idea. Generosity begins when neediness ends. It, it is not that we don't have needs, right? Y'all do have needs, don't you? Like, I need the Panthers to win today. It's a need. I need them to stomp the Jets, right? We, we all have needs. I don't want you to walk away from the big idea and think, wait, I can't have needs? No, 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 no. There's a difference between having needs and being needy. We, um, huh. I, I got to wrap this up. I'm going too long. But um, when I was youth pastoring, me and my best friend who was also um, on my youth team, we had this little, this little phrase that we would say. We would go and like hang out in church and we'd see certain people in the church and we would just look at each other and go, yeah, they're just too needy for youth ministry. And what we meant was they so needed the teenagers to like them that they could never give anything to the teenagers. You ever known people like that? Like they're just too needy. Like they, they need people to think they're a rock star. Jesus didn't need anybody to like him. Jesus needed nobody to follow him. Jesus knew who he was. And because of that, he was able to give. See, we can't be generous if we're needy. It's okay to have needs. We just can't have, we can't be needy. Because needy people have forgotten something. They've forgotten, one, that they have enough. And two, they've forgotten that they have a father, if they're following Jesus, who's going to make sure that he supplies all their needs and probably more than they need. Generosity begins when neediness ends. All right, we're going to wrap this up. And then um, this morning, here's how we're going to wrap it up. We're going to do the big give. And let me just explain to you what the big give is. I'm going to read you a quote, and then we're going to watch a video, and then we're going to be done. Here's the big give. I didn't steal this idea. I mentioned this to you last week. Um, Andy Stanley's church does something in their church. They've done it for years. And they just ask people, everybody in their church, to give $39.95 one time a year in an offering. And they take that money, and they give it away to all the nonprofits that they can find. Last year, they gave away $5.3 million. There's something in me that would love to see the church start to give more than people like Oprah. How awesome would that be? Not, I'm not expecting us to give $40 million today. But if we suddenly saw this grow and like people start just doing these kind of things, that would just be amazing. Because big things from small packages gives God the most glory. So we're in Stanley County, so we decided to scale that back a little bit instead of asking you for $39.95, which sounds like an infomercial. 
Sorry, Andy Stanley, if you're watching this, and we all know that he probably is. We're going to do the big give, and here's all we've asked you to do. We've asked you for a couple of weeks so that you could come prepared today because we don't want this to be, a, to be an emotional thing at all. We want this to be very, hey, this is what we've chosen to do. Generosity is not really always about emotion either. That's manipulation. So here's what we've asked you to do. We asked you, hey, while you make out your Christmas list, just add one more, one more list, one more item on the list. Average Christmas gift is probably about $25, so let's give $25. You can give it per person. You can give it per family. I don't really care how you do it. We've had some people online that have done it per person. Husband, wife, $25. They gave $50. However you want to do it. doesn't matter to me. But we're going to take an offering today. At the end of this message, we're going to have people standing with Christmas bags. And you're just going to come and you're going to put in $25 a person. However you want to do that. It's up to you. And we're going to take that offering, however much it is. And we're going to give 100% of that away to nonprofits in our area that are doing amazing things, that are doing what they're doing, whether we give them money or not. And we're just going to trust that out of a small package, big things can take place. So I'm going to read a quote right now, and then we're going to show a video, which means you've got about four minutes to write the check. You can go ahead and start writing it now, or you can start getting your cash out. If you came today and somehow you missed all of that on Facebook for the last three weeks... Like, you're doing what? What? When you get home today, you go on our website, you can go to the Big Give page, you can click a button, give it through PayPal. After today, that button will no longer work. This is a one-time thing today. Because we're not going to be asking you for this again. This is one time. Here's the quote. It's written by Tertullian. He was a second century historian. This is what he observed about Christians. Quote, Unlike members, this is written in the second century, unlike members of other clubs and societies that collected dues and fees to pay for feasts, members of the Christian family contributed money voluntarily to a common fund to support orphans abandoned in the streets and garbage dumps. Christian groups brought food, medicine, and companionship to prisoners forced to work in mines, banished to prison islands, or held in jail. Christians even bought coffins and dug graves to bury the poor and criminals whose corpses would otherwise lie unburied beyond the city gates. Here's what I want you to hear. Such generosity, he wrote, which ordinarily could only be expected from one's own family, attracted crowds of newcomers to Christian groups despite the risk. I lost you at unlike members of other clubs. Let me explain what he said. He's watching the early church begin to grow in a society that wants to kill Christians. And I don't know how you are, but when people want to kill something, it doesn't usually grow. But in that culture, in that environment, Tertullian's watching the church begin to grow. And he can't figure out, why, why is it growing? I mean, they, want to, they want to kill these people. Why do people want to be killed? And this is what he observed. It wasn't their doctrine it wasn't their creed. It wasn't their religious practices that drew people to Christ and Christianity. What drew them to Christianity was the generosity of the believers who were doing for people what their own families would not do. The story goes that when the plague hit and people left because people were dying, the people that stayed behind to care for people that were sick and dying and could possibly infect them and make them die was the church. And they so impacted their culture that people started to say things like this. I 
want to follow Jesus even if it costs me my life. Generosity did that. It wasn't an amount. It wasn't their ability. It was not that they were affluent because they were not. They had an attitude because they had enough. My father will supply my daily bread. And they knew that they had a father who if he gave them more than they needed, it was so that they could take that and bless someone with it. That will change the world. That will change Stanley County. I want us to get back to that. Not for our glory at all. That's why we're taking the money from the big give this morning. That's why we're going to give it away. It's not ours to keep. Just to give it away. Just to bless people. Even nonprofits that don't know Jesus. Because they're doing a good job. Because they're trying to do what was done when Tertullian was living. Generosity is never about amount, ability, or affluence. It's always about your attitude. 